0: Well, as you know, uh, usually what we do as a church is travel through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been traveling through the gospel of Mark, but we have put a pause on that to jump into this series called uh, The Me Marriage. And um, the reason that we do that, the reason that we pause and uh, stop doing expository preaching is uh, really because we see an issue or an area in the church uh, that needs to be addressed, something that we need to focus on because there is an issue. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are issues in the marriages at Gospel Community Church, and so that's why we're doing this series. Now, the reason that I'm saying up front that there are issues in the marriages in this church is because oftentimes if there are issues in your marriage, it makes you feel isolated. Um, When there's an issue in your marriage, when there's a problem in your marriage, you feel isolated from your spouse, and then you show up to church where everybody is dressed a little nicer, Everyone is smiling. Everyone is holding hands. Everyone is saying, Good morning, brother. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Even though you guys fought in the car on the way here, even though Wednesday night you got into a knockdown, drag out fight, you are pretending that everything is okay. Now, let me say this again for the record, and it is on the record because I'm being recorded right now. Um, There are issues in the marriages at Gospel Community Church, there are issues in my marriage that need to be addressed and worked on, so you are not alone. We are not a church full of people that all have our marriages all together, okay? So let's just all take a deep breath, realize we're all in the same playing field here to where all of us need to work on this, and so that is what this series is all about, okay? Amen? Is that okay? All right. So, Um, We have been looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. You you, you have to get this understanding of this text, of this passage. It is a multi-sided jewel. I mean, it is, um, there are so many different angles and ways to look at this particular text. Uh, It is so deep, it is so rich, and so we haven't been taking a step-by-step walk through the text. Rather, we have been kind of turning the jewel uh, and looking at each side of this amazing Jim here, and we're going to continue to do that this week. Now, if you weren't here last week, let's recap, let's catch up and keep going. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today. I hope that you brought a pencil or uh, to have some way to take notes because there's like 50,000 notes today. We've got a lot of work to do. Let's get going. Last week, here's what we did. Last week, we said that generally speaking, uh, marriage is in bad shape. We, we noted that uh, people are waiting longer and longer to get married. We noted that the divorce rate is 50% and climbing. Uh, we noted that many people are cohabitating before they get married. And what we said is the reason that marriage is in such bad shape is because we have thrown out God's definition of what marriage is, and we have inserted our own. We have said, God, I know that you created marriage uh, and you have this idea about what marriage is. You've designed it, but I don't care. I'm going to make my marriage the way I want to make it. I'm I'm redefining it. And so we said, some people view marriage as uh, essentially socially binding or a social duty. It's something that, you know, you have to do. I mean, at some point you start to get a little bit older, and people start asking you, hey, when are you gonna settle down? When you gonna tie the knot? Maybe your parents start bugging you about, you know, getting married and having and kids and blah, blah, blah. And so you feel this social pressure to go ahead and, and get married, right? You, you're, you're the only one, right? You're All of your friends have gotten married off. You know, they, they do married couple stuff on Friday nights, and now you're the weird old person at the club, you know? Like, it's just, it's awkward for everybody. You know, you're old now. You can't hang out with young people anymore. You need to go get married. And so there's this social pressure uh, to get married. Now, because it is a social duty and social pressure, uh, do you get divorced? Well, no. No, because, because that would socially look bad. And so you don't, you don't get divorced. You, you stay together even if you're completely unhappy. Um, and you, if you want romance, you find that outside of your marriage. Okay, that is that social duty or social pressure view of marriage. Now, what is the result? Well, the result of that type of marriage is a joyless, unhealthy marriage. Okay, so, so we rejected that. We said, that, that's terrible. Now, the other view of marriage is marriage is the result of romance. It's all about feelings. I mean, you met that special someone. The sparks, you know, were flying all over the place. You know, you were shot with Cupid's arrow. You got all the warm fuzzies, the butterflies on the inside. And and because there was that romance, that spark, you know, um, that's why you're like, th- this is the one, right? I've met the one. I've been looking for the one, and I finally met the one uh, because I've got all these, you know, funny feelings on the inside of my tummy. You know, it's it's that type of romantic feeling. And that's what marriage is about. It's about romantic feeling. Well, we said, here's the problem with that. Uh, We said the problem with that is uh, coffee breath and eye boogers are real life. Um, And as, as life goes on, as things happen, you will fall in and out of like with your spouse all the time. And so if you're basing your marriage on romantic feelings, I promise you eventually those will go away. And if when those go away, what's the answer? Divorce, right? Be, because I, I don't know what happened, you know? We, we just, we fell out of love. I mean, I have literally counseled with people and I'm saying there is no biblical basis or grounds for you to get divorced. Why are you pursuing this? Well, I just felt, we just fell out of love. I just, I just don't, I don't feel in love with her anymore. I don't feel in love with him anymore. And and, And I'm saying you have adopted a totally unbiblical view of what love is because the Bible tells us to love our enemies, doesn't it? So does the Bible mean that we should have warm, fuzzy, affectionate feelings for our enemies? Well, no. No, it doesn't. You see, because love is an action that leads to feelings. So as you begin to serve your spouse and give your life away for your spouse and and totally devote yourself to them, then that's when those affectionate feelings come. So so again, I'm I'm not saying you have to be Mr. Spock and, and, you know, throw out emotional feelings and, and never be warm and affectionate and, you know, just do your duty and serve your spouse. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you don't feel affection, you serve, you pour out because love is an action first that leads to affection. So, so that was uh, what we discussed and, and that's what we uh, began to talk about last week. The core of it was if, if marriage is about social duty or if marriage is about romantic feelings, both of those things center a marriage on me, right? Because it's about my social standing. It's about my needs being met. Uh, and, and the biblical definition of marriage is not a me marriage. It is the other marriage, I mean, just just take a look at at verses 22 uh, through 25. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So so just in just a casual reading of that, you see that the wife's posture or the way that the wife should live out her life in the marriage is submitting to him, serving him, loving him, giving herself away to him under his leadership. And the way that the husband reacts, look at verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he loved it by dying for it. And so the the husband's posture in the marriage is to serve and love his wife unto death. He wakes up every morning dying to himself to serve his wife. That is the posture of the man. Look at verse 31 in this text. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, look at this, one flesh Now we read that one fleshness and we automatically think about the physical act of love and that is true. But also think about this, when the Bible says um, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, I mean that's a a reoccurring theme throughout the Old Testament um, where God pours out his spirit on all flesh. What does that mean? Well it means that God is gonna pour out his spirit on all people. So if the two become one flesh, that means that the two become one person. That's what happens when you get married. You, You become one person, meaning this. You give up your individual rights. We live in a world and a society that is all about your individual rights. It is built and protecting, and all it cares about is your individual rights as the individual. No one has the right to tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want. You are the master of your own destiny and universe. Well, listen not in the biblical definition of marriage. You come into it and you say, I, I'm giving up my individual rights for you because now we are now one flesh. The marriage is not about me. This is, listen, this is selflessness on steroids, okay? This is the ultimate picture of selflessness, of giving your whole self to your spouse, okay? So, specifically, what, what, what does this mean? Okay, so he, here, here was kind of the, the, the dig last week. I said, if the biblical idea of marriage is a selfless marriage, giving yourself away to your spouse, here's what that means. The biggest problems in your marriage is selfishness. The biggest problem in your marriage isn't your past. Now, you might have a past, a difficult past that aggravates your selfishness, um, but, but your past isn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem in your marriage is your selfishness. The biggest problem in your marriage isn't your communication. The biggest problem in your marriage isn't your temperament. Uh, the biggest problem in your marriage isn't uh, how you were raised and the example that was set by your parents. The biggest problem in your marriage is selfishness. And so, what we I, I ask you to make a commitment to say, I am making a personal commitment to work on my own selfishness. So we don't get to say, yep, you're right, pastor. Selfishness is the biggest problem. And I'm glad you said that because my spouse is here and they needed to hear that. (laughs) I said, no, what we must do is say, you know what? I'm agreeing with the biblical text that selfishness is the biggest problem in my marriage. And I am making a personal commitment to work on my personal selfishness. Okay. So that's what we did last week. So here's what I want to do this week. Again, I want to interact with some cultural definitions of marriage that are incorrect, uh, and then I want to begin to, uh, or continue to form and shape a biblical understanding of what marriage is. So we're going to take a look at uh, a few more inappropriate, incorrect, devastating, and painful definitions of what marriage is, Um, and then we're going to look at the biblical one. You guys still with me? Okay. Okay. Here's why this is so important. This is so important because any time you defy the designer's instruction, it leads to pain and dysfunction. Okay, so, so if you uh, go buy six gallons of milk and pour it in your gas tank... That's gonna go bad. That's going to lead to pain and dysfunction. It is defying the designer's instruction. The designer in your manual, right, you get this in your glove box, you never read it, you don't even remember it's there, but it's in there. And the the, the designer of your car says, put in gasoline, okay, not milk. So when we ignore the designer's instruction, it always leads to pain and dysfunction. And so it's important that we reject the cultural understanding of marriage, which has always been changing, And we accept the biblical definition because God designed marriage. He knows um, how it should function and the best and most healthy way for it to function. Okay? Number one, let's take a look at this one. Number one, marriage is an economic partnership. Now, some of these um, culture just accepts. And then others of these, what happens is we fall into them. We, we, so, so on your wedding day, you probably didn't say to your spouse, I am so excited to enter into this economic partnership with you. You probably didn't say that. But, but as life goes on, As um, difficulties arise in your marriage, as you begin to see the selfishness of your spouse, as you begin to recognize your own selfishness, as there are fights, as kids come along, all of that begins to cloud what marriage really is about and and it morphs into and becomes this financial institution because issues haven't been addressed, conversations have not been had, um, difficult things have not been said, real problems have been waxed over and ignored. You have made a contract to where you don't talk about this and I won't talk about this, and so what ends up happening is the love disappears, you stop serving one another, you stop feeling affectionate for one another, and it becomes a financial institution because everybody knows two incomes are better than one. And so you can get a better house, you can get a better car. And when it comes to, you know what, this, I'm, I'm totally unhappy in this marriage, I can't bear it any longer. Well, I can't leave because both names are on the mortgage. For others, um, they accept or adopt this idea because um, it's not necessarily an economic partnership, but it's economic dependency. I, I have to stay with him because he's the primary breadwinner. He's the, the primary source of income. And if I were to leave him, then, I mean, I, where would I go? What would I do? How would I, you know, buy food? And, you know, if, if there's kids involved, it becomes even more complex because it's not just you leaving him. You know, now you've got these kids and you have to feed them. And, I mean, what, what's going to happen? We, we also know that sometimes it happens the other way around to where the, the woman in the relationship is the primary breadwinner and, and he's thinking, man, how, you know, if I leave her, uh, what, how am I going to eat and what am I going to do? And I guess I'll go, have to go out and get a real job and actually work and, you know. So, so marriage can, if we are not careful, morph into uh, this idea of an economic partnership. And I'm telling you right now, this leads to a joyless unhealthy marriage and it is not the way god intended or designed marriage to be marriage is not an economic partnership okay now again this idea of marriage is an economic partnership where does that again fall on marriage is about me because it's about my financial stability so again This is not the biblical definition. This is one, uh, number two, this is one that Gospel Community Church is very much in danger of falling into. Marriage is a parenting partnership. Marriage is a parenting partnership. Again, you don't say this on your wedding day, do you? Honey, I can't wait to be parenting partners. (laughs) You know? Um, I I can't wait for our whole life uh, to be, you know, revolving around kids. You don't say that, but... Um, Maybe at the beginning of the marriage, things are happy and going great, and all of a sudden one kid comes into the picture, and that one kid really doesn't break the bank because they're small and, you know, they don't do very much. It's kind of lay there. I mean, you have to give up a little sleep, but things are okay. But as that kid grows, maybe as other kids come into the picture, life moves in this fast-paced rhythm that seems to be impossible to keep up with, and you find yourself driving to soccer practice and dropping this one off at school, and then this one has a dentist appointment, and oh, gosh, this one is sick and throwing up everywhere, so now somebody's got to stay home with this one, and you're going here, driving there, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this marriage that is only about parenting as partners. Is there intimacy? Are you kidding me? Who's in the mood when you're covered in spit up? Um, is, Is there emotional connectivity? No way. We're too tired to talk. Is there spiritual growth? Doubtful. We're, not, we're not talking about the things of the Lord. Uh, we, we can't because the trolls soundtrack is on again. And if I hear hair up one more time, I'm going to throw hair up. And so what we find ourselves doing is not being a married couple, but rather running a daycare together. And I'm telling you, God has blessed this church with children, and it is an amazing gift. But listen, friends, sometimes when God gifts us with something, it can be our greatest downfall. People who are talented speakers, uh, people who are talented musicians, people who are smart or affluent, all of these type of gifts uh, end up leading to pride, don't they, and they become a downfall the same way God has blessed this church with children and we can be tempted to have kid-centered homes to where it's all about the kids. We don't make time for ourselves. We don't make time for our, we don't do anything. It's all about just running the daycare. This is dangerous. What's the result of this? The result is this. You stay together because of the kids, right? I mean, you have to because listen. Nobody wants to tame these little monsters alone. Okay, you know that if 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 your spouse leaves or you leave your spouse, it's going to get real Lord of the Flies up in here. And so, so you stay together, don't you? You stay together. Um, but when they turn eighteen and leave the house, marriage is over. the The foundation has crumbled and. Pulled away, it's gone, and so the marriage no longer has foundation because the foundation of the marriage was the kids. Because you were defining your marriage as a parenting partnership. I I mean, how many stories of this have we heard of? I mean, how many stories of this do we know to where again the kids left the house, there was nothing left in the marriage, and so they got divorced. This is a common thing, and that's why because they defined their marriage as a parenting partnership. Friends, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. This does not lead to a healthy, joy-filled marriage. What is it? Uh, Proverbs 22.6. You guys might know this one. Train up your child, what? In the way they should go. Meaning you're training them up to go, to go away, to leave, right? Yeah, yeah. You're training them up to go, to leave, to get out of the house. And so if you're training them up to be, uh, to be sustainable on their own, to be self-sufficient and, and go out into the world loving Jesus, following him together w- with a spouse, um, if you're training them up to go do that, then it stands to reason that putting all of your chips in that basket, building your marriage around your kids is a terrible idea because they're, you're training them up to go, to leave. So the result is, once the kids are out of the house, the, the marriage is over. And listen, here's, here's also a tragic result of, of a parenting uh, partnership. You're not modeling for your children what a truly selfless, healthy, beautiful marriage looks like. So, so you're actually setting them up for failure. As as they watch you guys, they're they're not seeing a couple filled with joy and and romance and passion and intimacy and and a drive to see the most holy and beautiful spouse that they can help achieve. They're they're not seeing you parent that way. They're not seeing you love one another that way. All they're seeing is, you know, the the taxi cab driver in the front of the car driving them to soccer practice. And so what they see is not a marriage modeled by their parents filled with love and joy and, and focus and mission with Christ. Um, they, they see this parenting partnership, and so you're modeling something that's gonna set them up for failure as they go on and find a spouse. So not only does it ruin your marriage, it can potentially ruin theirs. So, what is the biblical definition? Okay, so so what we're doing is looking at this text. We're looking at other texts from the scriptures. We're looking at the things that that Jesus has said about marriage, and and that is how we're coming up with this biblical definition of what marriage is. Here it is. Marriage is a permanent and exclusive, legally binding, public promise to share your entire life with someone else. Okay? Okay? Marriage is permanent. Uh, we, we have heard stories in recent days of, of people, uh, you know, trying to trying to come up with a three-year marriage contract. It's a, it's a three-year renewable marriage contract. You know, uh, you, you get married, and in three years, you decide whether you want to renew the marriage contract or not. Well, that is totally unbiblical. Uh, that is not the way God intended marriage to be. Uh, marriage is a permanent and exclusive meaning uh, you, you're not married to anyone else you're not seeing anyone else on the side it is solely with this one person so it is permanently um, with this person it is exclusive it is legally legally binding meaning um, you are obligated uh, y- you are saying I am binding myself to this person and I am obligated to this agreement it's legally binding I am I am in this thing no matter what. It is a legally binding public promise. So so that's what's happening there. So the the couple stands before a a congregation. Why are the people there? I mean, the the people are there to celebrate. Sure, it's it's a fun occasion. But the idea of having a witness at your wedding or having people in the congregation is to hold you accountable for the promises that you're making. Again, I, you know, you're standing there looking at your spouse, making these promises. You know, till death do us part, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. You're you're making these out loud promises about uh, about what's going to happen in the future, and so the congregation is there holding you accountable to those promises that you made. So it's a public. It must be a public promise to share your entire life with someone. Here's what that means. No secrets, no separate beds, no separate bank accounts. Listen, no prenuptial agreements. You're saying everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. We don't keep anything from one another. So practically, here's what this means. Write this down. Marriage is more important and should take priority over any other relationship. Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam, <clears throat> takes Adam and he puts him in the garden. Um, there is an incompleteness to Adam. Again, God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. There was not a companion suitable for him. If you remember, he's he's naming all the animals, right? It, and out of all of those, all of those animals had a companion and there was no companion for him, which I'm, I'm sure Adam was very pleased with, right? There's the giraffe. That's not her, is it, God? No, it's not. That's not her. Okay, good. There's the hippopotamus. Oh, it's not her, is it? Okay, okay, nope, nope. All right, very and, quick. And, and so as as he named these animals, he saw that there was not a helper suitable for him. He was incomplete. And so in order to complete him, Eve was created. He, listen very closely. God didn't put two buddies in the garden. God didn't put two two girls that were just best friends. God didn't put a, a father and a son in the garden. God didn't put a mother and a daughter in the garden. God put a husband and a wife in the garden because the marriage relationship is the foundational relationship. Now you have to understand like that's a that's a pretty astonishing thing for for most cultures i mean mo- like for for us westerners it's it's a little bit weird uh, but in a lot of eastern cultures i mean the 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 child parent relationship is is paramount i mean like eastern cultures i mean they their kids take care of their parents i mean it's it's something that is ingrained in their culture um you know we we stick ours in homes and say all right you know fend for yourself Uh, But, but to, to say that it is not about the child parent relationship. That is, that's not foundational. Um, It's not the buddy, you know, it's not your, your bros, your boys that, that, you know, you hang, you go golfing and hunting with, and man, I, I share everything with those guys. It, it, it's not the, you know, sister, si- he didn't put two sisters, you know, even though sisters can be really tight, brothers can be really tight, buddies can be really tight. The, the foundational relationship that that um, humanity is built off of is the marriage relationship. So I say again, marriage is more important and should take priority over any other relationship. Um, chapter five in Ephesians, look at verse 31. Check this out. <laughs> Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father. Okay? You you leave your father and your mother, meaning you leave behind um, the way that they did things. Listen to me now. When, When two people get married, they become one new family unit. So you don't enter into your marriage saying, this is the way we did things in my family, so now we're going to do it this way in this family. You leave behind your mother and your father, and you form one new family unit. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to discard all the things that were good. You can keep some of those things if they work for your family. But you're forming a new family unit together. You're leaving behind your mother and your father. Let me give you an example. I came... Uh, from an open home, meaning we had people over. We had people over all the time. Uh, my friends were always over. They lived on the couches periodically as time went on. Uh, we we did Bible studies at my house. We did all kinds of people were always around and always at my house. My wife, not so much. It's not that they never had people over. It just wasn't as open as my house was. So when we got married we have an open house, right? Of course, I didn't discuss it with my wife, didn't talk about it because I'm a big idiot. And so here we are in our first year of marriage and Chelsea gets off work and she's, you know, frustrated and, you know, ready to come home and sit down on the couch and so she comes home and there's like eight cars in the driveway and, you know, she comes in and there's all my buddies and friends and we're hanging out and eating pizza and like, hey, babe, welcome home! You know, and she's looking at me like, I'm going to kill you later. (laughs) You see, I, I brought with me the, the things from my mother and father the way that it was modeled to me. I brought that into my marriage w- without keeping our marriage relationship, our marriage relationship, paramount and the most important thing. I didn't leave that stuff behind. Now, you, now you might say, well, I hate my parents and so that's really not that big of a deal. But it can be because if you say, I hate the way mom and dad did this, therefore we will not do that, right? Mom and dad made us go to church and I will never make my kids go to church. Be careful because you're not leaving behind and starting something new with your spouse, okay? It is the most important relationship, you and her. It takes precedent and priority over every other relationship. Look at the second half of verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to who? His wife. He, he clings to her. He holds fast to her. He is glued or bound, um, stuck together. That, that's this idea. They, they are stuck together. Together, they are bound. They are holding fast, meaning the husband does not hold fast to his buddies from high school. The the guy does not hold fast to the guys that he hunts with or golfs with. The, the The husband does not hold fast to his kids, but he holds fast to his wife. Okay, let's get real practical here. Listen to this. Dudes, if your best and closest friend that you share everything with is not your wife, you are practically breaking your covenant. A lot of us have friends that we grew up with. A lot of, if you're a dude, you might have a brother or a college roommate. And, and with him, you share everything. I mean, you, you can talk to him, you can open up, but when you come home and your wife says, Hey baby, how are things going? You say, Fine. If that's you, listen to me, you are practically, meaning in practice, breaking your marriage covenant. He leaves his father and his mother and he is holding fast to his wife, meaning that relationship is taking priority. Let me address the ladies, girls, ladies. If you are sharing everything deep in your soul, if your best and closest friend is your college roommate or your sister or whoever, you are practically breaking your marriage covenant if you say oh i can share everything with my sister i can share everything with um, you know w- with my college roommate th- this girl i grew i mean she she gets me she understands me what about your husband oh he's an idiot yeah. if that's the case you are practically breaking the covenant the covenant is to leave your mother and father and hold fast to your spouse So, who are you closer to? Your spouse or someone else? It's a hard, hard question. Here's what I want you to write down. If you want a more shorthand definition of what marriage is, here it is. Marriage is a friendship. Marriage is a friendship. In Genesis, when uh, Adam, you know, he understands that that he is incomplete, um, that He is made incomplete and that uh, Eve has all of the things that he needs to be completed as God um, walks her down the aisle. Okay, you have to get this picture in your mind that um, in the garden was this great wedding ceremony to where uh, there is Adam and God as uh, holding the primary leadership over Eve is walking her down the aisle towards Adam and hands her off to him. Adam says, at last... That's that's how he he begins. He he essentially recites this poem. He says, at last, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. I I am now completed in her, is what he says. At at last, he he was longing and waiting for this relationship. It's a a deep oneness. It's a a friendship. that's That's what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a friendship. So that is my prayer. That is my hope for all of the marriages at Gospel Community Church is for all of the marriages here to be not based on a parenting partnership, not an economic partnership. I don't want these marriages in this church to be built on fuzzy feelings um, or social duty, but to have a basis in being totally and completely selfless, and being deep friends with your spouse. Okay, let's do the hard work now, because because that's that's the idea. So now we have to ask this question: How? Okay. So so a lot of us maybe didn't get into the marriage relationship with that in mind, right? I have to marry my spouse. A lot of times, um, you know, single people, listen up. A lot of times you walk into a room and there are twenty people who are single like you, uh, and you immediately uh, push off to the side seventeen of them because they're too short, they're too tall, they're too fat, they're too skinny. Uh, you know, you wanted someone with green eyes and they have brown eyes, so you, so, so there isn't that physical connection. So you push them off to the side, right? I, I'm not physically attracted to them, so boom, I push them over here. You know, so now you're left with just a few. You got three or four left. Uh, you know, and, and two of them don't they don't like you, and so uh, you know you're left. Now with one that you were physically attracted to And so because you're physically attracted to them Now let's see if we can build a friendship When the 17 that you Pushed to the side because they weren't your body type um, Really could have been A good friend for you Be careful how you're selecting your spouse But, but here's the thing we, We've now stated and it's out there Marriage should be a friendship And so what if you find yourself in a marriage relationship That's not a friendship how, how do we become friends? Or um, if, if you're saying, yeah, I think we are pretty good friends, but, but we want to build on our friendship, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, here you go. Deep oneness or friendship comes from uniting in a common mission. Okay, Deep friendship or, or oneness, how, how, do you, how do you build that in your marriage? How do you become friends? That, that's what you need to do well you have to have a common mission so so think about all of the films that go this way okay so so you're um it's a group of people and they're different and they don't like each other yet they, they have to go do something okay so think about the avengers you know you're looking at all these superhero guys and there's all this internal tension you know one doesn't like the other and uh you know but 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 there's a villain and he's out there and he's destroying the city. And so now uh, these four guys who are different and don't like each other, they're now united in this common mission and to where before they were arguing and punching each other and all this stuff. Now they're united in this common mission to destroy the villain who's destroying the city. And now they're taking sacrifices for one another. There's a deep camaraderie that is built. I mean, think about uh, the Avengers, the uh, the Dirty Dozen, the Expendables, uh, uh, the Suicide Squad. Um, you, know, you, can, you can go on and on thinking about this, this these type of movies where we see this played out to where there was tension, there was friction uh, in the group, but yet there was a common mission. They, they had to, you know, uh, oh, Ocean's 11, that's another one, right? So they, they had to go steal the money. And so even though there was tension within the group, the common goal is what bound them together. I mean, th- think about guys who, who come back from war. From, from tours overseas to where they're thrown in a unit with people they don't even know. Oh, you know, One guy's from Texas, the other guy's from New York. I mean, they live worlds apart, but, but there they are on this tour in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, and they come back, and, and that is their blood brother. Why is that? Well, they were united in a common mission. It's the same in our marriages. We need to be united in a common mission. If we're going to build true friendship and intimacy. Okay? So what is, what is the mission? What is the mission? So so again, we're building on this. Just stay with me and, and, and come along, okay? Listen to this. Every marriage needs to have a temporary mission that changes and an eternal mission that stays the same. Okay, every marriage needs to have a temporary mission that changes and an eternal mission that stays the same. What do I mean? Okay, let's talk about the temporary mission that changes. Here's the question. What must you and your spouse do together or get done in the next three to six months? What, what do you need to do? What do you need to get done? What do you need to accomplish? For some of you, you're saying, you know what? We, we have got to get our finances in order. We've, ugh, that that is the most important thing that we can do right now, uh, is to get our finances in order or pay off debt. Some of you are saying, you know what, Um, I'm coming home exhausted, tired, mad, I hate my job. And that's causing a lot of issues, I hate my job, and so what we need to do as a married couple, as a family together, is find me a new job in the next three to six months, okay? Now, I'm putting a timeline on it because it's temporary. Those things change. You might say, you know what, we we need to move. Um, we, We need to move across town. So our goal in the next three to six months, our mission together as husband and wife is to sell the house. We need to sell the house in the next three to six months. So we need to get our finances in order. We need to pay, off, pay down debt. Um, oh, here's another. We need to finally make a decision on what we're doing about schooling for our kindergartner or our first grader. I mean, we're going public school, private school. We've been batting around this idea back and forth. We've got to make a decision. So our temporary mission, our temporary goal in the next three to six months is to finally decide what we're doing about schooling with our oldest. Okay? So, so how, do you, how do you decide or how do you define what that goal is or what that mission is, that temporary mission for the next three to six months? You can start by asking, what's the biggest frustration in our marriage? Okay, You, you might say, you know what, in the next three to six months, we need to get in counseling. Um, but, but again, if finances are your biggest frustration, well, then, then set a financial goal for the next three to six months. And again, those are temporary. Those are changing. Those are gonna come and go. But set a goal, set a mission, create a mission that you and your spouse are on together. That is the idea of the temporary goal, the temporary mission that changes. You will find, listen to me, you will find that as you and your spouse come together and agree on this thing, okay? We, we've got to sell the house. We've got to get, find you a new job. We, we've got to pay down debt. We've got, when you agree on that and you begin to work together towards that goal, I, I'm guaranteeing this, you will begin to discover and find more deep intimacy. You're working together. You're having these conversations. You're moving towards the same goal. And when you meet that goal, you celebrate together and you set another temporary mission forward. I think the reason there are issues in marriages, so many issues, is simply a lack of clarity and direction. Now, that's the temporary goal. So I said, every marriage needs to have a temporary mission that changes, okay, it changes every three to six months. And an eternal mission that stays the same. Well, what what do I mean an eternal mission? What's, What's the eternal mission that stays the same? Verse 26, look at this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to the church himself in splendor, without wrinkle, spot, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This command is clearly to the husband to be washing his wife with the water of the word, but you have to understand that the wife also shares in this responsibility for her husband. While the husband holds the primary responsibility, she is also included in this. Just like the text says, um, husbands love your wives. It's not like the wives aren't responsible for loving their husbands okay does that make sense so this is a shared responsibility that the husband is washing her and she is washing him with the end goal to be presented without wrinkle spot or blemish you guys seeing where this is going what what is the what is the eternal mission okay the eternal mission is to get your spouse before Jesus being the best person that they can be in Christ. Now, when it says washing, let's, let's build out this, let's tease this idea out. When it says washing, okay, don't think about a nice, soothing bubble bath. When, when we look at this, okay, washing with the water, that's so nice. You know, you think a bubble bath, you know, it's, it's very pleasant and everybody... Everybody likes a bubble bath, okay? But bubble baths are only cool if you are already clean. If you nasty and dirty and stanky and smelly and you get into a bubble bath, it's not cool to stay in there, okay? It's not. So bubble baths are only cool if you're already clean. But spiritually speaking, you ain't clean. You need to brush your spiritual bad breath. You need to floss your sinful teeth. You need to wipe your prideful bottom. You need to clean behind your pagan ears and wash off your soiled armpits. The truth is, sin makes us spiritually dirty or unclean, and your spouse is charged with applying the water of the gospel to cleanse you. Now... The most private thing I do in my life, okay, the the most private things I do in the bathroom, right, with the door closed, okay, see what I'm saying? So like flossing, you know, you're like up in the mirror, like, you know, digging in your teeth, and it's a very private thing. It's a very personal thing to, to cleanse, isn't it? What this is saying is you're inviting your spouse into the most private and intimate parts of your life. To be involved in the process of cleansing you, of sanctifying you. Okay, we use the word sanctifying. That's a fancy church word for making you look more like Jesus. um, to, To help you kill the sin that's killing you and make you more like Christ. That's what we mean by sanctifying. So you're inviting your spouse into the most sacred behind-closed-doors thing, you're inviting them in to wash the dirty parts of you with the water of the gospel so that when you stand before Jesus on that faithful day, you have been an instrument of their sanctification. That is the eternal mission. That's the eternal mission. Mission. The eternal mission is to get one another in front of Jesus, blameless, spotless, to present my spouse in splendor. That's the eternal goal. We are united, the husband and wife are united in making one another more like Jesus on mission, right? This is, listen, this is why you should never, single people, listen to me, this is why you should never marry someone who is not a Christian because they will not engage with you on this journey. This is what the marriage is designed to do. Husband and wife, linking arms together. Baby, I'm gonna do everything I can to make you look more like Jesus. Sweetheart, I agree with you, I'm gonna do everything I can to make you look more like Jesus and you're journeying together towards that goal. If your spouse is not a Christian, they will not enter in with you on that mission. Single people, that is why the Bible makes that instruction. So, jot this down. A healthy, joy-filled marriage looks into the spouse and sees what they can become in Christ and then works towards that goal. That's what a healthy marriage, it looks into the spouse and sees what they can become. I, I see it, it's in there. Right? It, it gets clouded over sometimes by pride. It gets it's clouded over by, by arguments that we've had. But, but I can see in there who they can become in Christ. And I want to work for them and with them so they can become all that they can be in Christ. You see, in the world's view, if you don't like your spouse, you get a new one. In the Christian teaching, it's different. It's, I want a different spouse, but I don't want a different person, Does that make sense? You you want a different spouse, but you want a different version of the spouse that you already have, which is just less shackled by sin. The version of them that is set free from sin. I want a different spouse, but I refuse to look outside my marriage. I see what they can become without the shackles of sin. So your job is to help your spouse become everything they are supposed to be in Christ. That is the eternal mission. If you engage in that, that is what is going to bind you together and you will find a joy-filled, healthy marriage. Practically, I I know we're got a lot of notes and going long today. Here we go. Let me end with this. Here is something uh, that you can jot down for it to be a practical application for you. Have an honest conversation about receiving criticism without being crushed and giving criticism without crushing. Okay, So, so what do you need to do this week? Well, if you're going to be involved in the most personal and intimate um, things in your spouse's life, washing them with the water, then you need to have a serious conversation about what it means to receive criticism from your spouse, like, hey, I see you doing this and it needs to change, receiving criticism without being crushed and giving criticism without crushing them. Here's another practical thing. Jot this down. One, have regular family meetings have regular family meetings. We look at at corporate businesses. We look at organizations. We look at um, all of this stuff. and, And how does this organization stay afloat? How do they have regular healthy communication? Because they have meetings. They go in the boardroom and they sit down they have a meeting or they gather back in the back kitchen at the restaurant where they're about to go work and they have a meeting or they sit down with a whiteboard and they have a meeting. So why don't we take that principle and transfer it into the family? We need to have regular family meetings talking about what's our family doing? Where are we going? What are our goals? How are we going to be aligned together in mission? What's our next steps? Have regular family meetings. Number two, go on a date. Go on a weekend trip, right? This, this, if, if you're wanting to build a healthy marriage, um, if you want to make sure, here's a, here's a great way to make sure that you're not just parenting partners is if you're willing to say, no, we're going to call a babysitter. We're calling the babysitter, they're coming, and, and you look right in their little tiny face and you say, I love you, but I love your mama more. Goodbye. And you turn around and you go on a date. You you find time to go on a weekend trip and spend time together. This is again. This is super practical. We know this, but I'm I'm just saying it out loud so so we're all on the same page here. Okay. Have regular family meetings. Go on date nights and weekend trips. Number three, put those things on your calendar. Listen, if you don't put it on your calendar, it's not gonna happen. When when we do marriage coaching or marriage counseling, we ask people, hey, are you guys going on dates? No, we're not. Why not? Because we don't have enough time. Okay, well, that means it's not really a priority for you. If it's a priority for you, you know that you want to, you know that you need to put it on your calendar and stick to that calendar. Because, look, if it doesn't go on a calendar, it's not going to happen. Okay, everything else gets put on the calendar. The soccer game, your kid's soccer game's on the calendar. You know, the the kid's school program's on the calendar. Um, And and you're saying, no, 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 we don't want a parent, a a kid-centered home. Okay, well then then put on your schedule, put on your calendar, uh, you know, husband and wife time. Seven o'clock, we're going out. Got to put it on the calendar. Now, let me just close with this. I'm done. I'm out of your hair. Here we go. When marriage is a friendship you continuously become more conformed into the image of Christ and you can navigate any circumstance from a place of strength, right? If your friendship, if you're friends, you're gonna be constantly helping one another become more and more like Christ. And listen, you get this amazing opportunity to navigate any circumstance with strength. If you have a joy-filled strong Christ-centered marriage, let circumstances come. (laughs) Let the world come crashing down on top of you. Listen, you'll be able to navigate from a position of strength because you know you have a safe refuge at home. Let your boss yell at you. Um, You know, let somebody cut you off in traffic, Uh, you know, let them foreclose on the house. Listen, you still have that safe refuge in your spouse. You're able to navigate any circumstance from a place of strength. Now, let me just say this to the single people in the room, and let me say this to to people in the room who may not have a spouse that is their best friend. Listen to me. Jesus is the greatest friend, okay? Okay. So, so if you're saying, hey, I'm single and you just said that the opposite sex is created to complete me, so I'm feeling incomplete without a spouse, I need, I need that friend. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is the greatest friend. You see, Jesus is going to be monumentally more dedicated to your holiness than your spouse will ever be. So he is the greater friend. Um, Jesus can complete you in ways that your spouse will never be able to complete you. And so Jesus is the greatest friend. And so let us turn our eyes to Christ. Let us look to him. Let us have Christ-centered marriages so that he might get glory and so that we might find joy in our marriages as we move forward together on the same mission, growing and building and developing marriage as a friendship. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We dedicate ourselves to you as Christians, as Christ followers, and we say to you, Lord, um, send your spirit now to develop and grow deeper friendships in marriages in this church. Lord, I pray for the people in the room who are not married, who are single. I pray that they would be looking for a friend, uh, not just looking for someone who turns them on, but they would look for someone who they know they could develop a real, deep, and true friendship. I pray for the troubled marriages in the room. I pray that they would make uh, a commitment this morning that they would focus on their own selfishness and that they would be making deliberate steps uh, to grow their friendship. Let them turn their eyes to you and let them know, Lord, that... Um, No marriage counseling or coaching or marriage book or marriage seminar is ultimately going to fix it. Um, But any issue in a marriage uh, can truly and only completely be fixed through the power of your Holy Spirit. So let us cry out together this morning, uh, crying out to the one who has the power to save and who has the power to change hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.